Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your tour guide through history today. And on today's adventure, we're going to look into the history of the Checker Motors Company, the manufacturer of Checker Cabs, where the last Checker Cab rolled off the assembly line on July 12, 1982 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So come along and join me for this fascinating look at an iconic company that left a lasting legacy on its city. The article that I'm going to be referring to today was written by David Corman of the Kalamazoo Public Library staff in May of 2012. And it's based on an earlier sketch by Fred Peppel, who was also formerly of the Kalamazoo Public Library staff. 27 July 1999 was a bittersweet day in the history of New York City. It was the last day of operation for the only remaining legal checker cab in that city. The cab's driver, Earl Johnson, found himself at the center of a media circus as he took his final fares on a trip through history. The attention should have come as no surprise as the checker cab had a long-established reputation as a New York icon. The boxy vehicle was as much a symbol of the city as its culture as any landmark or individual. However, despite Checker's status as a symbol of New York, the cab's roots were based in the nation's smallest full-scale automobile manufacturer, Checker Motors Corporation, in Kalamazoo. Now, the early history of the Checker Motors Corporation. The cab that made Kalamazoo famous was the brainchild of Morris Markin. A native of Smolensk, Russia, Markin went to work at the age of 12 and a half. In a mere six years, he was in charge of the city of Smolensk, largest commission house handling food, dry goods, and produce. Markin was not content to remain in Smolensk, Russia. Two of his uncles had immigrated to Chicago, and at the age of 19, with only $1.65 in his pocket, Markin went to join them. He soon found work as an errand boy for a tailor. Before long, he had his own shop that, in his own words, made the best pants in the world. By 1919, Markin began making inroads into the taxi business by taking over the operations of a Chicago cab fleet. Around the same time, he opened a body plant called Markin Body. Three years later, Markin acquired a chassis company in Joliet, Illinois, from a financially troubled friend. In May 1922, these concerns were merged into the Checker Cab Manufacturing Corporation. By the end of that year, Markin was turning out over 100 cabs a month, and he looked to expand his company. Now, some sources suggested that Markin decided to move his business to Kalamazoo for expansion because the chief engineer he wanted, Leland Goodspell, refused to move to Chicago. 
Other theories propose that Markin sought to put distance between himself and the violent taxi wars being waged between rival cab companies on Chicago streets. Markin's own house was destroyed by a bomb in 1923. Whatever the reason, Markin and Checker would find Kalamazoo an ideal location in which to prosper. Besides offering desirable engineers and safe distance from cab wars, Kalamazoo had the available infrastructure for a fledgling automotive manufacturer to get off and running rapidly. In order to house the business, Markin purchased two new but recently vacated automobile plants. These were the former Dort Body Plant on South Pritchard Street and the Handley Knight Plant on North Pritchard Street. Both of these companies had manufactured passenger cars in Kalamazoo from 1920 to 1923. In 1929, a significant expansion of the plant was required in order to keep up with demand. Noted architect Albert Kahn, famous for designing most of the automobile plants in Detroit, drafted new steel and concrete buildings to the east of the existing facilities on North Pritcher. The former Dort plant was sold. As a result of this construction, Checker's production space was vastly increased and concentrated onto one property. The assembly line contained within Checker's factory was a testament to industrial efficiency and design. It crossed between buildings via bridges and between floors and via ramps. The complex mechanisms were likened to a Rube Goldberg design. Markin himself compared its machinery to a merry-go-round. For the next 60 years, production swelled. At the company's peak of over 100 vehicles a day and 5,000 vehicles a year rolling off the line, they were doing quite well. Mass production and expansion were needed because demand was so high. Checker cabs developed a reputation for comfort and reliability. The company had an association with a number of cab operators who used Checker cabs exclusively. These operators, in fact, were Checker subsidiaries. They included the Checker Cab Company, Yellow Cab, and Parmalee Transportation Company. In effect, Checker was its own best customer with around 1,500 cabs a year being devoted to these operators. Additionally, Checker's vehicles became a preferred mode of transportation for cabbies and passengers in cities around the nation. In 1965, over a quarter of the nation's cabs were Checker-built. But there were two things along the way that definitely had an impact on slowing production. As with virtually all manufacturers, the Great Depression of the 1930s and World War II, which followed, had a drastic impact upon Checker and nearly cost Markin his business. Business slacked in the early 1930s, and the impressive assembly line lay idle for extended periods of time between 1932 and 1933. In addition to blaming the economy, Checker's board of directors targeted Markin. The board actually fired Markin as Checker's president on August 4th, 1933, and he appeared to be on the verge of losing his company. Markin was ultimately saved by E.L. Cord, whom Markin convinced to finance his stock options and thus secure control of the company. Cord promptly reinstated Markin to the presidency. 
Financial troubles continued until the outbreak of World War II, which essentially ended civilian production at most manufacturers, including Checker. For the duration, Checker produced a number of products for the Army, including self-contained trailers, truck cabs, tank recovery vehicles, and so forth. While the war dragged on, cab drivers had to do with the existing stock of Checker cabs. Now, stories abound of pre-war checkers lasting for over a million miles. Such accounts helped cement the legacy of checkers' reliability. For the next three decades of checkers' existence, the company continuously improved the cab's design and styling. New models were introduced every few years. Those early checkers often bore a strong resemblance to the contemporary General Motors vehicles. However, despite the steady change in styling, all checker cabs became known for their reliability and spaciousness. In 1956, the company developed a new design that was destined to become an iconic and long-lasting body, the boxy design of the new checker model A8, and its solidness remained the same with only the occasional modest improvements for the remainder of the company's production run. When in 1958, the successor model A9 was introduced, the only differences between it and the older A8 was a slightly restyled grille and a headlight design. Future modifications would be even less noticeable. Such limited alterations would characterize Checker for the next 27 years. Why fix what's not broken seemed to be the new corporate model. So you might wonder if they ever tried to expand into other markets other than manufacturing cabs. Well, it actually did happen. Markin was convinced that he had a good product. Markin decided to enter the passenger car market in 1959. Beginning with the 1960 model year, Checker produced the A10 Superba sedans and station wagons, in addition to its traditional cabs. This new product line represented Checker targeting new customers rather than launching a radically new product. The Superbas were merely the company's tried-and-true A9 cabs with minimal modifications and appropriate styling. It was felt that a car designed to endure the harshest of driving conditions, as taxis were, would make an excellent family vehicle. Advertising literature promoted the checker's reliability, roomy interior, and value for the family. Although Checker couldn't compete with the market share of the big Detroit automakers, expansion into the passenger car market proved sufficiently successful and profitable. The Superba earned glowing reviews from Consumer Reports and other industry publications. The cars also developed a loyal customer following. A nationwide dealership network was established. In 1961, the Superba was renamed the A12 Marathon. All checkers took on the name Marathon and the model number denoting the type of vehicle. As the decade wore on, checkers' offerings continued to become more varied. The company continued to expand its offerings with a finely fitted limousine model starting in 1964. The limousines were similar to the other Marathons, but with black as a paint job. The insides featured such 
Extras as gray broadcloth upholstery, air conditioning, and a glass partition so the driver wouldn't overhear the passengers talk. The U.S. State Department turned to Checker's new limousine as a more suitable transportation for some of its diplomats overseas. It purchased two deluxe limousines for use in Moscow and San Salvador. The move came about after the U.S. Ambassador to Moscow, Llewellyn E. Thompson, wrote Washington that his existing limousines were not suitable for the cobblestones and rough roads encountered in the Soviet Union. It also was hard to buy high-octane gas for them. An added advantage for the checker was that Thompson could get in and out without removing his top hat. Perhaps the most remarkable product to roll off of Checker's assembly line was the Aerobus, a stretched version of the station wagon. It was available in six doors and eight door varieties. The bizarre vehicle proved popular as a passenger shuttle and saw extensive service from airports and hotels. Promotional literature from the time showed an Aerobus in service with the Upjohn Company. Another unusual and short-lived product was the Medicar. The Medicars were custom limousines with a raised roof for additional headroom, a rear door with a ramp, and locks to secure wheelchairs and stretchers. The vehicles were aimed at the niche handicap market with easy conversion into ambulances. Despite the expansions of Checker's catalog of products, all of the new vehicles were not far removed from their taxi routes. Not only were they similar in style, but they had identical engineering as well. These similarities are what allowed Checker to create this newfound variety of vehicles. Their entire product line used many of the same parts. As a result, the assembly line could easily and quickly be retooled for production from one vehicle to another on demand as dictated, which was incredibly useful in their assembly line. And it's really not something that you hear about happening in Detroit. Once they set the assembly line up, they're manufacturing the same vehicle all the time. So Checker had a, quite a unique operation going there. In 1978, Hollywood came to Kalamazoo to film a major motion picture called Blue Collar. The film was set in a Detroit automotive plant, but all of the Detroit car manufacturers refused to allow filming in their facilities. Fortunately for the filmmakers, Checker Motors opened its doors. The use of the facility for the film, starring Richard Pryor, Harvey Keitel, Yefet Kodo, and Ed Begley Jr., added realism to the crime drama. In addition to Checker's assembly lines, many local people appeared in the film as extras. While the Checker Factory had its starring role in Blue Collar, Checker Cabs have starred in countless other films, especially those ones that are set in New York City. Their exposure has helped cement the vehicle's association with the city. Interestingly is that Checker Cabs have continued to appear in New York-based films long after they've disappeared from the city's working cab fleet. But like all good things, they always seem to come to an end in a sad, sad way. By the 1970s, Checker's motor glory days were behind it. A series of events which led to the eventual demise of the Checker cab itself, and ultimately the company as a whole, came about. Morris Markin died in 1970 
costing the company its founder. As the decade wore on, the company's iconic vehicles became increasingly mechanically obsolete and stylistically falling behind other vehicles. Although the vehicles remained dependable and beloved by passengers, they were becoming too expensive to effectively operate. Rising gas prices made the 4,000-pound cabs impractical for taxi companies and drivers. Changing federal regulations in fuel efficiency and safety threatened to impose changes that the company couldn't afford. By the end of the decade, the company was selling fewer than 3,000 vehicles a year. Checker flirted with various options to solve this. One experiment included fitting its iconic cabs with diesel engines, a complete redesign of the vehicle to conform to the modern automotive design was also pursued. However, these options were considered either too risky or too expensive. And in 1982, it was decided to end taxi production. The last checker rolled off the assembly line on July 12th, 1982. That car, an apple green body, currently resides at the Gilmore Car Museum. So if you want to go up and see the very last checker cab that rolled off the assembly line, then you need to go out to the Gilmore Car Museum. With the end of the taxi production, more than 225 workers were laid off. Gradually, the classic cabs started to disappear from the city streets as old vehicles became worn out and new checkers were unobtainable. However, the company maintained a profitable business producing parts for other manufacturers, including General Motors. Checkers Motors survived in this fashion for the next 27 years, weathering downturns in the auto industry. The economic downturn and near collapse of the auto industry in 2008 and 2009 proved to be too much. The company declared bankruptcy, sold its contracts and machinery, and went out of business at the end of June 2009. It put an end to an 87-year history in Kalamazoo. Large sections of the plant, including the original Handley Knight buildings, were demolished in late 2010. While some structures remain, including the 1929 Con building, the machine shop, and test track, the property's future is today uncertain. Now, although Checker Motors has gone out of business and its iconic vehicles have become a rarity, the legacy left behind remains strong. In its wake, Checker has left a nationwide network of enthusiasts who remain fiercely loyal to the brand. Checkers of all types have become collector's pieces, and owners have established a number of organizations devoted to all things Checker. In 2004, local artists sought to honor the memory of Checker through a citywide project called Hail Kalamazoo. The project was inspired by Chicago's popular Cows on Parade exhibition, and you've probably seen this in other cities. If you go to St. Joseph, they've done a similar thing. And I think when I went to Ann Arbor, they were doing a similar type thing where they have statues and models of a particular creature or animal or something, and they put it around town. Uh, the last time I was in St. Joseph, they had penguins on the corners, for example. Kalamazoo's version featured about 34-foot model checkers, and they were individually decorated by different local artists. 
you might recall seeing those around Kalamazoo, and I believe there's still a few of them around the downtown area if you look for them. The Markin family also left more than memories for Kalamazoo. Uh, David Markin, Morris's son, an avid tennis player, donated the monies to erect the Markin Racket Center on, on the Kalamazoo College campus. It serves as an indoor practice and performance space for tennis teams and houses the United States Tennis Association office and the Western Tennis Association Hall of Fame. Another legacy that the Markin family left in the city is Markin Glen Park, which was the former homestead of Morris Markin. Upon his death in 1970, 16 acres of his property became a city park, originally called Maple Glen Park. And the city hoped to develop Maple Glen into a year-round municipal park with an emphasis on winter sports. But due to budget constraints and vandalism, the city closed the park in 1977. Later, the city of Kalamazoo sold the property to the county, and a group that now has become known as the Parks Foundation commissioned a master plan for the park. The park's west side was developed and opened with trails and scenic overlooks in 1994, and the east side was developed with camping, fishing, and other recreational facilities in 2000. In April 1997, Maple Glen Park was renamed Markin Glen Park to honor the history of the land and the Markin family's continued support of the park. And that is basically the history of the Checker Cab Company and the history of the Markin family in Kalamazoo. And it's a fascinating history, and it's hard not to feel sad that that Checker Cab Company is not in existence anymore. It's probably the most heartbreaking company to close its doors in Michigan history, in my opinion, because it's such an iconic memory in the heart of America. I mean, think about every classic film from the 70s and 80s and 90s that had checker cabs in them. Um, even after the last one rolled off its production lines, there was still checker cabs being used in movies. I mean, think I think the Blues Brothers had them in the movie. And uh, just think of any movie that's been filmed in New York City, Ghostbusters and so many other ones. You're going to see checkered cabs somewhere in the backdrop, even if they were just brought in for that film alone. And so they're just iconic. And they were always part of the backdrop of New York City. It was something that you always remembered seeing in the films as something that we take for granted, but it was always there. It was just part of New York. It was almost like, how could there be New York City without checkered cabs, you know? Let me rattle off a few 80s films that you might recall when I tell you the title. And all of these had checker cabs in them. Nine to Five, Stir Crazy, Arthur, DC Cab with Mr. T driving the cab, Trading Places, Risky Business with Tom Cruise, Rhinestone, The Lonely Guy with Steve Martin, Weird Science, Brewster's Millions, Tough Turf, Desperately Seeking Susan, Crocodile Dundee, Legal Eagles, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Howard the Duck, Little Shop of Horrors, About Last Night, Nothing in Common, The Secret to My Success, Baby Boom, Batteries Not Included, Three Men and a Baby, 
Broadcast News, Who's That Girl, Moonstruck, Coming to America, Cocktail, Married to the Mob, Punchline, and so many more. And those were just 1980s films. Checker Cabs went way back even into the 1930s with Tarzan's New York Adventure had one in the 1942 film. And, uh, and actually, Checker Cab made its debut in... November 1922 in a black and white short film called Out of Place. And that was with their checker model H cab back at the time. And who could forget the 1976 classic movie Taxi Driver that had a checker cab in it, you know? So it has an iconic legacy that spans cinema. Anybody who's ever traveled to New York during that period of time will have a fond memory of riding in one or any other city during that time in America because they were shipped to taxi companies all over the country. So to me, it's kind of sad that this company no longer exists. And it's also a reminder that some of the things that we take for granted in life can disappear on us and many people don't even notice. But I think as a nation, we will all have a fond memory of the Checker Cab and the Checker Cab Company. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the history of the Checker Cab Company in Kalamazoo. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be so kind as to leave a review and a rating on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com and send me a message through there. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales from Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. 